This is episode number 164 of the Rising Man podcast with Dr. Benjamin Ritter. Leadership is a lifestyle. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. Jetty Azuma again behind the mic, hosting you, welcoming you, thanking you for being a part of the Rising Man movement. Before we jump into our episode today, I want to make sure all of you guys who are trying to come out with us for our Elements three-day wilderness immersion, reminder that the dates are now switched to April 16th to 18th. You can still grab a spot right now. We're starting to fill up this week, but there's still plenty of spots left. So go to risingman.org slash elements and get your ticket today. All right, my guest for today is Dr. Benjamin Ritter. He is a Chicago, Illinois, and Austin, Texas-based leadership and career coach. He's a regional learning manager for YPO, national speaker, podcaster, author, mentor, and is passionate about guiding others in finding, creating, and sustaining a career they love. With over 10 years of experience coaching and a background in organizational leadership and adult learning theory, Dr. Benjamin Ritter understands how to navigate any career path you decide you want to travel. In this episode, Dr. Ben and I broke down the layers and dimensions of leadership. We talked about how everyone is a leader, whether you see yourself as one or not. Dr. Ben schooled us on where some of these leadership wounds come from and how we can become self-starters, even if that's not normally your style. We also discussed the career capital and the law of transference concepts and how you're never wasting your time if you learn to adapt and apply the skills you have. How even being a 24-7 video gamer can help you in the next stage of your life if you figure out how to apply those skills. And last but not least, Dr. Ben talked about the golden moments that life produces when we're challenged the most and how persevering is the only option. Without further ado, Dr. Benjamin Ritter. All right, Rising Man family, I've got Dr. Benjamin Ritter coming in live from Austin, Texas here. Good to see you today, man. Thanks for finally making this happen. It took me a few rounds to make it work, but we're here. (laughs) I'm pumped to be here. Like I said, I'm pulling up a chair and cozying up next to the fire and I'm ready to have story time. Let's chat. Awesome, man. Well, one of the topics that we're going to dive into today, I guess the overarching topic is around self-leadership and you have a really awesome story. I'm looking forward to hear more about as we get into it here. But before we get started, let's just jump in with the question I ask everybody who comes on the show. And that is, what does it mean to be a man? I'm still trying to figure that out. Honestly, I've been thinking about this too, like all the different stages of manhood that I been through. I remember when I was younger, I kind of lost myself and I had a big issue connecting with women specifically, like seeing sexuality around me, seeing the dynamic between who I was attracted to and and really also figuring out like how I wanted to show up, you know, as an individual and as a man. And I feel like my experiences kind of taught me different lessons on what I should do, what I can't do, what I have to do. And I think that's ultimately led to less about how to show up as a man, but more so how to show up as a human. And maybe because I am a man, I have certain innate energies, like my spirit's a certain way, potentially, or the way I've been brought up is a certain way. So I think, you know, that in itself has led me to be more of a rock, more of a person that stays goal oriented, solution oriented, compassionate, almost like a support system where people can rely on not solving, but being. So kind of like creating a sense of calm in the world when 
of the world. And that's really, I think, what being a man means to me is showing up as a eye within the storm, but also with an interest in helping others serve their best selves. In a way, it's, I'm not here to change you. I'm not here to force you to be anything, but I am here to potentially be a point of clarity and a point of calm. I like that, man. Bringing calm to the chaos and the eye of the storm. That's great, man. I could use that as my answer to this question from going forward. And in all fairness, I asked this question of everybody. I've tweaked it a little bit over, let's see, this is like the 160 something interview that I've done. I've changed it a little bit since the beginning, but really it should be, what does it mean to be a man, comma, for you, <laughs> right? Because there would be so many different definitions. And I'm glad that you highlighted that in what you said too, that it's really how you've decided you want to be a human, how you've decided you wish to show up in this world. And the reason that I asked this question, so there's actually been some feedback from people that are like, oh, you ask the same question all the time. I'm like, but it's still important because you never know when somebody's going to hear your response, Dr. Ben, and they're going to say, you know what, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That gives me a little bit more permission to do what I felt in my gut I needed to do. And when was the last time you had a chance to answer it? I'd actually love to hear what you have to say. You know, someone just had me on their podcast last week or maybe two weeks ago now, and they had popped that question on me. Everybody likes to do that. People who listen to the podcast and have me on their show, they like to ask that. But I'll go for it. Sure. I haven't said it here in this space in a little while. My definition today of what it means to be a man is to very much like what you said, to be the solution to the problems, to be a source of safety and comfort for my family and the people around me to be an outlet of wisdom and curiosity that makes a safer, progressive experience for the people that I love and care about. That's really the high 30,000 foot perspective for me of what it means to be a man. There's so much more to it. There's being a husband, there's being a father, there's being a leader and leaving a mark, leaving this place better than I found it. I love that. And reflection, like hearing you repeat back to me my answer and then hearing your answer I feel like there's also space there to say, you know, be a man for myself, which is this concept of self-leadership. Oh, there you go. Nice pivot. Nice segue, Dr. Ritter. Okay, here we go. So before we jump all the way into self-leadership, there was this question that came up for me in our pre-recording debrief. How did I get here? I heard a little bit about what you said that you never thought you'd get to where you are doing what you do now. I'm wondering where you started. Did you go to college? First of all, do you have a degree? Okay, I'll start high and go low. So I recently completed a doctorate in organizational leadership. And by recently, like three years ago, I studied value, congruence, and job satisfaction. I'm a big values geek. So not just you know living a value-aligned life, but living a value-aligned work life as well. Then before that, I did an MBA in entrepreneurial management, which no one knew. Like, why are you in a school for entrepreneurship? <laughs> this is 2008-ish. And at the same time, I was able to pursue kind of my health interests and do an MPH in health policy administration. So then before that though, I started undergrad studying nutrition. I wanted to be a dietitian. And at the same time, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I never thought I'd actually sit behind a desk, but I was studying nutrition because it was the thing I was interested in because to be a better soccer player, I had to eat a certain way, I had to work out a certain way. I was kind of uh, it goes together. And when you get really interested in something, it becomes a passion. And then you're like, I should do that for a living. But about two years into my degree, they canceled my major. So I was like, I guess I got to figure something else out. So I was thinking of transferring. I was playing soccer for the school at the time. I was looking at other soccer teams. Eventually, 
a big thing happened. I actually moved to the West Coast and then everything fell apart. And so I moved back, tried to rebuild in Chicago. When I tried to rebuild, I just changed my major to marketing. Hold up for a second, because you said everything fell apart. I don't want to skip over that chapter. But just give us a, at least a little bit of what was falling apart looking like for you? Oh, man, I was my worst critic. If I could go back in time, the one thing I would have taught myself is confidence. The drive to want to achieve something outside of myself was not just, when I say drive, I don't mean just like, this is something I wanted. A lot of high achievers out there, when they actually put their focus on something, it becomes their thing. And if you've ever been really into someone, like in a relationship, imagine that thing you're into, that's a relationship is now the goal. Like I ate for that goal. Like I said, I studied nutrition for it. I worked out for that goal, like constantly on a daily basis. I practiced three times a day. The only thing I watched on TV was that was soccer. I didn't go to parties. I didn't really care about friends. Like it was just an unhealthy obsession. And when I lost my major, it was kind of an excuse for me to go find a new team because the team I was on, I didn't really have the position that I wanted. When you want something real bad and then you're really critical of yourself, that comes out in terms of performance. So you think that would actually equal greater productivity and greater achievement. It does not. That doubt actually cascades into a lot of negative mental physical and performance issues. So I tried to leave and I found a new team. The coach said I could play on their team. My coach at the team I was at was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, they canceled my major. And then I ended up going to play on another team. But after training in the summer, I had a pretty bad injury. I performed pretty badly. Plus my headspace, the coach didn't put me on. I moved across the United States for a new school, was accepted, new major, new team. And then all of a sudden I just lost Okay. So there's a cliff. There's like an identity cliff that your identity just crashed over is what it sounds like. Yeah. And that happened a couple of times because I came back and was like, F this, I'm going to keep going. I had hip surgery to fix the issue that I was having physically. And then I waited, I healed and I flew to London and went to school and stayed in London for six months and played out there. And then had the decision to either keep playing or to finish school, came back and realized that was probably it. And so it was like this long drawn out. I have no idea what I want to do with my life anymore. So the moment you get back from London, how old are you? So I hit surgery like the day before my 21st birthday. So I probably was 22. Okay. So young man, the plan that he was all in on, right? Only having a plan A and then everything comes crashing down and you come back and there's just that huge question mark. Yeah. And it's not just the plan issue. When I mentioned how obsessed I was, I lost balance in my life. So I forgot how to really be social. My confidence issue impacted how I felt around individuals, around people in terms of what I could achieve. And so I was kind of not only left without a career plan, without an understanding of what I cared about and who I was, but also a huge overwhelming amount of social anxiety and issues connecting with individuals. You know, luckily, I don't know how, but something within me took the focus that I had on soccer and reapplied it to myself. So, you know, and a lot of times people say, you got to love yourself first, care for yourself first. Like I dedicated the world to that. And so that's when I got involved in professional development and literally just was like, okay, I guess I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I guess I'm going to go test some stuff out. I guess I'm going to go taste the world, taste experiences that I've been limiting for this entire time that I've been dedicated to this one thing. I was putting this one thing as more important than me. Right? And this led to this understanding of, who creates your purpose? Well, you are the God of your own purpose. Your purpose cannot be greater than you because it's an emotion and it's an interest that you created within yourself to apply to your life and to live your life. And so then it was just like a constant application of learning new things and trying them and learning new things and trying them. It got me interested in dating and just a bunch of, a bunch of things happened. I'll pause for a moment. I know that there's a lot of uh, 
steps that you've climbed up the ladder to where you are now. I just remember before we started recording, I could really relate to your experience because I went to school and got my doctorate in physical therapy. And I remember my first day on my first job in New York City. It was really overwhelming. It was really uncomfortable being in that space for the first time. And I remember coming home on the subway and I was like, man, can I really do this for the next 30 years and then retire? Can I really wake up every day and do this thing? And it was an instant no. At 23 years old, I had that instant hell no. There's no way I can do this for 30 more years, which then propagated a really dark period of about two years for me where I couldn't answer that question. Well, I knew that answer to that question was, I can't do this for 30 more years. The question after that was, well, then what? And I didn't have an answer to that for two years. So there I was going on the subway, going to work every day, still enjoying helping people, but knowing that that wasn't my ultimate end game and not knowing what was going to come next. And part of the pain in that for me was feeling like I was wasting my time. When I did, when I wasn't clear on my purpose, when I wasn't more clear on a direction that I wanted to create into, I felt like every day that went by, every subway trip in and out of the city that I took was wasting my time. I received a distinction around this much later that helped me out. A friend of mine told me about this idea of the law of transference, that everything that we do feeds and supports and is in service to the next thing we do, no matter what it is. I used to be a bodybuilder in college, and there's still lessons that I have from that that serve me in the work that I do today. And I know that when you and I were talking, you said something about career capital, and that to me reminded me of this law of transference. So what is career capital? What is this whole concept philosophy, and how is that relevant to how you got to where you are now? Love that you shared that story, by the way, about the subway, because pivotal moment for me to change my career path when I was an executive in healthcare and on the side dating coach was that sense of dread going into work. And it's just like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. I was walking to work. It was that good of a job. I literally could walk, but I was like looking around me and I don't know if I was projecting it or if I was actually seeing it, but I felt that same dread from everyone that I was passing by. And I was like, why are we working like this? It makes no sense. But in reflection, that story that goes through our heads, like I'm wasting time. Why am I doing this? I can't believe I'm doing this. This isn't what I want to do. That story itself just exponentially builds on itself. And so negativity creates more negativity, creates more negativity. And all of a sudden now, a situation that could really benefit you is now actually deteriorating your life and and your professional career and potential growth opportunities. And so when we talk about career capital, the whole sense of it is that everything you do in work, like you just said, build skills, builds relationships, and builds a greater understanding for the next step, just like you mentioned. And so it basically guides others, instructs others to try to make the most of every moment they have within their career. Because if you don't, and I'll tell you, I left healthcare, I kind of burned my bridges a bit. And I didn't have relationships that I could lean on that could get me those first clients, that could get me that new job that could help me make the next step forward. And I work with clients now that are in these senior level positions and executives, and they've actually just gone in a straight line, a straight trajectory in terms of building relationships, you know, doing well in their work, getting promoted. And it's so easy for them to literally create anything just with a little bit of permission and clarity because they have so much career capital underneath them. And so often I see people just like myself waste their time. You know, in their mind, it's because they don't know what they want to do. That's not really wasting time. Wasting time is not making the most of what you actually have. Yeah. It's kind of like tucking money away under your mattress and then forgetting you put it there. 
or burning that capital that you've generated by, like you said, burning a bridge, leaving a relationship on bad terms when you leave one job for another, or discrediting some of the experiences that you've garnered. So I'm interested in what does it take to make use of that capital, especially as you're accumulating it? (laughs) Maybe you don't see the value in it while you're there, but how do you leave your doors open? There's some sense of job crafting that comes into play here. So career capital is basically an accumulation of your experiences, right? Your passions, your relationships, everything. But to make the most of your career capital, you want to take a look at where you're at and say, okay, what type of work do I want to do? And why do I want to do that? What is this work leading towards? What type of work do I want to do in the future? What skills do I want to create? And so what work can I do right now to help me create those skills? Or what people do I need to interact with to learn those skills or to build those relationships? Uh, Is it cross-departmentally? Is it upwards? Is it lower? Is it in a related organization? And then also what I really love or what do I think that I love that I'm not sure yet? And how do I actually test that and figure that out? And if you can answer those questions, you can start taking advantage of where you're at to then build career capital to get to the next step in your career progression. Yeah, I like that, man. I think about going back as a physical therapist, for example, and just how my skills and being able to communicate and relate to people helped me become a really good interviewer. Because here I am, you know, I'm working in New York City, stretching out a bunch of weekend warriors who pulled a hammy on the treadmill or something like that. And what I'm doing while I'm stretching them out or while I'm massaging their muscles or doing a treatment on them is asking them questions, right? You can only talk about a pulled hamstring for so long. 12 one-hour sessions into it, and I'm getting people's life story. I'm hearing about some of the hardships they had. And so I didn't realize it at the time. Even when I was in college, I graduated back in 2009. So I think podcasts were still a really new thing back then. I didn't even know that that was available. I didn't even know that was something that you could do. And I definitely didn't study or train to be an interviewer directly, especially not in a traditional sense. But there I was, you know, I've treated thousands of people over the years, asked them a bunch of questions, got really curious about their family and learned how to create a safe environment for people to tell me what's going on for them. It's also what's helped me to become a really good coach and a mentor being able to listen and, and poke around a little bit and challenge people and say, oh, well, what's that about? Tell me more. I'm interested. I'm curious. And I had no idea I was developing that all along the way. But the fact that I can go back and look at that and say, ah, there's actually something really valuable in there for me. It's like finding 20 bucks in your coat pocket that you haven't worn in a few years. I love that. And so to that point, I would challenge everyone to start listing off everything they've done ever in their professional career, what they've learned, and start actually figuring out where that career capital is, what skills you have, what interests you might have, what relationships you have, because we tend to forget it. We really do. And I'd keep this as a living document that you continuously add to maybe projects that you've done and maybe even have like a folder of interesting things because interesting things can turn into interesting projects that you might want to work on at work. And even like podcasting, you work for an organization right now and they don't have a podcast or maybe they do. I a hundred percent promise you, you could easily get involved in that. It's just to think about that. You're getting paid now to go learn how to be a podcaster, to go spend your time studying, have really good equipment that's funded by your organization, to then reach out to people that you might want to talk to that might become really great relationships in your professional career later on, you know, either in the organization or outside of it. Like there are so many things that you can do if you just say, let me just think about what I could possibly do that's not within this silly little Word document job description that you were hired from. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a new kind of resume or a different way of looking at a portfolio. I think this is where you can infuse some creativity and energy. If for those guys who are stagnant, I think it's a great way to reinfuse some energy and life into it and look at, well, let's flip it around. What are you getting from this? How is this setting you up for your next move? 
how is this creating the next step forward for you? Yeah. I mean, if you're one foot in, one foot out of anything, relationships, especially relationships, but your jobs too, if you're always looking for the next job or like the next level up, you're never going to invest the amount of energy that you need to, to actually make sure that you get to that next level, at least not within your organization, or at least not create the opportunities to work on projects or work with certain people that are going to help kind of speed that up. I mean, I just remember when my time in healthcare, when this finally hit me, my initial response, it wasn't to leave. It wasn't to start a new company. It was to go get in touch with the people in the organization that are doing the type of work that I want to do and ask to do the work with them. And it worked. I got to start working on some pretty neat projects that I even reference today when I'm doing different contract work for organizations. You know, that all stopped because we ended up getting acquired, which is why I ended up leaving because everything I was working on stopped. If I didn't volunteer, if I didn't know what I cared about, if I didn't reach out and make those connections, if I didn't put myself out there and get a little uncomfortable outside of my normal work scope, if I was just sitting in my resentment to say like, I don't want to be here, so I'm not going to go volunteer for more work and put more energy in a place that I think I'm going to leave, then I never would have had that opportunity. I honestly might not have really thought that I cared that much about this industry. Yeah. I mean, that's really fascinating, man. I want to bookmark something for a second because we're going to talk in a minute about what does it look like to really lead yourself and create opportunities? Because I think a lot of people, especially guys, millennial guys, along the way, we've been conditioned and accustomed to sitting back and waiting for things to happen for us. I don't want to go into the psychology of why that is, but... I see a pattern in that. And what I just heard you say is you went out and made opportunities. You didn't currently see them before. The structure that was presented to you, you went a little bit outside the bounds of that. You said, hey, I'm interested in this. Is there an opportunity here and created one? So I want to bookmark that for a second because before we move on from this career capital concept, I think there's also the opportunity to take something that seems really unimportant or insignificant, even something that seems like it has a negative connotation to it and be able to twist that into something that is useful for you. For example, this concept that was shared with me was introduced around gaming. And there's a lot of gamers out there. I used to be a gamer myself way back in the day. And it's easy to spend a ridiculous amount, like two full-time jobs worth a week of gaming time. And there's guys who've done this for years. I'm sure guys listening right now are like, damn, he's talking about me. I game 60 hours a week, right? I get no sleep because I'm gaming or working. And to even see something like that, like a video game as how there's value in it. I did this with a guy once and I was like, well, you've done a lot of gaming. What have you learned from it? He kind of paused for a second. He's like, well, what has that taught you about life? What have you learned? What skills have you garnered? Have you had to be really creative and dig a little bit? And before we know it, he's talking about resource allocation. He's talking about leadership, leading teams on like raids or whatever the game was that he was playing and communication with people that are on your team, cooperation, collaboration, what works, what doesn't work. There's a lot in there. Guys who play Call of Duty, you know, online for like eight hours a day, you're getting something from that. You might just need to look at what you are getting. I'm not saying that, you know, playing 10 hours of video games a day is a good way to progress your vision, <laughs> but there's something in it, right? There are core components of it that you might want to start investigating and try to incorporate into your actual profession. Also, if you can dive into what those skills are, you probably release some of the shame and guilt that's related to it that gamers tend to receive from their close relationships or people that are around them, even from themselves. I played a lot of StarCraft when I was younger, <laughs> you know, played some RPGs and stuff. Not so much anymore, but yeah, what you said is really important. More so just to be proud of yourself. Whenever there is any sort of doubt, 
you start wondering why you're spending your time here, but for some reason don't actually want to spend your time there. Like, I think it's good to know, okay, am I investing properly? Does my intentions every single day, is that going to lead me to where I want to go in my life? But there's also a part that says, I'm choosing to spend my time here. Like, that's okay. And to be proud of that, to be happy with that, to accept what you're doing right now. Because if you do start associating those negative feelings with how you're living your life and who you are, based on whatever perception you have on who you want to be, that could actually hold you back more. Let's use that cue to shift over into leadership and leading yourself. One of my favorite things to say about leadership is, it's actually the problem I see for most people these days is I've had the fortune of being in rooms with hundreds of men and asking the question, who in here is a leader? I start off with that. And as you can imagine, you know, you see a few guys whose hands fly up. They just know it. You're like, okay, well, he knows something about himself. And then you see a couple of guys who kind of like look around and timidly, you know, am I maybe, I'm not sure. Is this the right answer? And there's a bunch of guys with their hands in their pockets looking around. And it's like, I know he's not talking about me. And to me, that's a problem because of what you brought to the table today, self-leadership. At the very least, we've got to be leading ourselves in our lives. That's the starting point, right? That's ground zero. That To me, that's actually one of the first steps into manhood is accepting leadership and responsibility for myself. So if, if there's guys out there who don't see themselves as a leader because they're not captain of the soccer team or something like that, we got to talk about it a little bit. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that and what you see, because you work with a lot of people in this particular realm. When you were describing that situation of a couple of meek hands raising, you know, I think I'm a leader. Am I a leader? Other people being like, no, I've never been a leader in my life. I don't see myself that way. My inner voice is going, well, define leadership. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's define this. A lot of people, right, they prescribe themselves as a leader based on their definitions of it. And my tagline was for a while now and just kind of what I've been preaching in terms of leadership was the most important leader you're ever going to meet is yourself. You know, a leader doesn't lead. A leader motivates others to lead themselves. Like you're always making the final decision. No one can force you to step forwards, force you to change your habits, force you to be a different person. It's like, even you think about sports, you have a coach, great. You trust your coach, you trust your judgment, but you're ultimately doing whatever it is that they tell you to do, it's ultimately you making that decision. So that's really kind of the concept of self-leadership is you are accountable. You are the only one accountable for your life and that you should feel empowered to be accountable. And there are three main components that I've discovered just in working with clients and through research that I feel can help you develop greater you know, levels of self-leadership. But uh, you know, you're talking about self-leadership and I had an image in my mind and it's kind of just like you're on a move and walkway. You're taking advantage of the opportunities that come up to you. You're not creating opportunities. You can take advantage of them quicker. So you get to that place quicker because you're on a moving walkway. And if the opportunities stop, you can still walk forwards. You're still on the same path. Like you're not choosing your own path. Self-leadership is more so like you're kind of on an open field and there's some mountains in front of you or there's a lake to the right of you. There's maybe a deep hole right to your left. You kind of look down at it and you're like, I don't want to go down there. And so you're making choices, you know, there's even maybe some tools next to you, maybe a bucket and a shovel. You can like build whatever else you want. Maybe you have some wood over there. You can build your own house. Like you have control. You don't have control over the environment, right? All of a sudden a storm can come, but you can choose to go under that shelter. You can choose to stand in it. And so self-leadership is really about that internal control that we have over ourselves and over our own actions and not the environment around us. 
Yes. So let me interject there because this is so good. And I encounter guys who are stuck on this. They're stuck in, well, where do I begin? What I hear you talking about is making decisions. And I encourage guys, the first place to ask questions is, well, what do I value? What am I willing to fight for? What do I stand for? Have I experienced enough of life to decide what matters to me most? I find that's the case with a lot of guys who, like you and I in our stories, we were in our early 20s. I know for myself, I was still really getting clear on that. I hadn't yet exposed myself to enough of the world, to enough of what being a man looked like to decide what I actually cared about. I had a really good start, especially because I've got a great father who instilled in me a lot of really strong values that I still hold on to. But I instinctively knew that it was incomplete. And my method of going out and figuring out what I valued was going out into the world, traveling a bit, going and spending time with guys from different backgrounds, different cultures, different belief systems, taking what I thought was really useful, trying it on for a little bit and then integrating it further or rejecting it and saying, ah, it's not what I thought it would be. And it's not really something I care about and getting clear on what those values are so that I have that compass from which I can make decisions. You're hitting on the first C of self-leadership, which is clarity. I like what you said too, though, because, you know, when I was lost, all I wanted to do was try life on. I've worked music festivals. I've been on street corners with signs on my back promoting products. I've walked dogs. I've flipped burgers. I've served. I've bartended. I've barbacked in different worlds. You know, I worked in healthcare. I've just was like, I'm just going to do things. And I'm going to hang out with different types of people in different environments. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to say yes to opportunities. And, you know, part of clarity is also not having clarity. And not having clarity on one specific aspect of what you're working towards. Because just putting on your explorer cap and saying, I'm going to be brave and uncomfortable and go try stuff out and do it in a way that's moral to me and makes sense to me. And maybe doesn't make sense sometimes, but makes sense to other people just see how it feels. Like that in itself is clarity. Like that choice that you've just made, right? That's being accountable and being empowered. And learn along the way though. Don't do it aimlessly, right? Take notes. (laughs) Keep a journal, you know, reflect with yourself. Well, that's the important thing of that journey is being conscious while you're doing it, being intentional. And admittedly, there was a chunk of my life where I was doing exactly what you just described, but I was getting high every day. So I forgot a lot of that shit. I wasn't connected fully to the experience. I was numbing myself out from the full experience of it because it was just too painful. And I didn't have anybody to shine this lens on. I needed a Dr. Ben Ritter back in the day to say, hey, well, what you're doing right here is actually valuable if you look at it this way. Of course, the results are perfect. It happened the way it needed to, but I like what you're saying, you know, having that clarity, that intention of clarifying. I tell people it's okay if you don't know exactly what your purpose is. It's not something that you need to nail down in stone. In fact, it's going to evolve and clarify and hone over time. But if you don't know what that is, you don't even know where you're starting, then your mission becomes to pursue that clarity. Thinking about this is, are you running or are you growing? Like a lot of times people run from things. And it's like you said, are you indulging in risky behavior? Are you losing sight of the things that are around you? Are you really immersing yourself in the present? Are you hungry to learn about things and to grow and to learn more about yourself? Once you do that, right, as you keep growing, you're going to figure out what your values are, how you define who you are, what you care most about, not what your goals are, what you care about. Because what you care about creates your goals and your goals are just an application of what you care about. The goal can vanish and you still care about that thing. So life is not ruined. You can still lead yourself forward. You just pick a different goal. I think too often people get attached to these like external ideas and achievements and statuses. And it's like, no, no, no. That status, it's like you want to be a CEO of this company that operates in the health industry. Okay, great. That just means that you want to lead people, maybe want to feel a sense of ownership. 
want to make an impact in the health industry. Great. You can do that anywhere. You don't need that job. Let's figure out another way to do that. Which I think is a really important application. I think about going back to when I was a kid and they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? As though that's something that a five-year-old or a six-year-old can even begin to fathom. But, you know, the old paradigm of, oh, I want to be a firefighter, right? And then getting locked in. I didn't realize how much that was sticking with me when I got to my early to mid twenties. And that's actually where I was in the game where I got to figure it out. It was still embedded in me that I got to pick something and lock my talons into it and never let go and just hold a death grip on it. Maybe I wasn't hearing it. Maybe I wasn't listening, but there wasn't a lot of support around me that was saying, well, you're not signing a contract in blood. You're not selling your soul to this occupation, this career, even this particular job opportunity. I think it's good that we're just highlighting that. We don't have to go too much deeper into it because I want to hear more about the other C's of leadership. But let's take a quick fun pause for a minute because you said <laughs> you very casually mentioned that you used to have a bar backing job where you wore too little clothing. And I just wanted to go in solidarity with you there, man, because I don't think I've ever shared this on here before. But one of my many things that I did was I modeled underwear in New York City. I can officially put on my resume that I was an underwear model. I did it like three times, but... Yeah, very unusual and uncomfortable situation I got myself in. I'm sure we could pick apart what I got out of that value-wise, but I thought I would just throw myself into the ring with you on that. <laughs> I hope there's a billboard of you somewhere. Uh, somewhere there's a photo on Facebook with me wearing a cowboy hat, letting my long locks flow down my shoulders, but you know, kudos to anybody who can find it in the annals of Facebook. <laughs> like, and honestly, uncomfortable for me, not uncomfortable for a lot of people out there that model underwear. It's kind of neat to say that, like, I did that. I tried that. I grew from it. Wasn't for me. Great experience. And I think at least for myself, and it sounds like for you, like I have a bookshelf of that kind of stuff because that was important to me. It still is important to me, which is a whole nother conversation about, well, how to keep doing that right now. You know, how to keep doing that once you evolve, once you've grown, once you've found your place, like, how do you keep putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations? I just actually had a podcast about that. We can talk about that later, but I think that's important because whatever you start doing when you're younger, that's going to stay with you when you're older. And so how do you keep honoring yourself in that way throughout your life, throughout your journey? Yeah. Which I think is relevant to leadership too. I talk a lot about edge and usually that's something else we got to define. Well, what is living a life with edge, being out on the edge? I know when I'm uncomfortable. I think we all do. Like when something's like, Ooh, I definitely don't want to do that. That seems like it would be really risky to my physical self, my ego, my emotional self, something about it seems risky. There's often something in there for me. I've taken that leap enough times, whether it's going cliff jumping or modeling underwear, right? It all has that same somatic feeling, that sensation of something in me that does not want to do this, but I'm going to go for it anyway and then see what happens. And making that a habit of being in the discomfort and accepting the discomfort and proving to myself that I could survive that. I could survive being on stage and having a bunch of people witness me parade around in my underwear. I can survive launching a podcast and not knowing how it's going to be received, et cetera, so on and so forth. I hope people listening that feel that sense of fear and edge in your life realize how much of a gift that is because it is literally screaming at you. This is an opportunity for growth, an opportunity to experience life a little bit more than you were yesterday. 
I wore booty shorts and sneakers and barbacked in a bar, right? And that's why I did liquor promos. And that's why I dressed up as Will Ferrell from Semi-Pro and ran around the streets of Chicago. I also got dressed up as a zombie once and had to do that. Like, that's why I tried modeling stuff. Why I tried commercial stuff. Why I said yes to someone pouring plaster over my body to become a mannequin in a Civil War museum in Kenosha. It's because it was like, that sounds kind of interesting. Why would I do that? Well, okay, let's make some stories. What else is life about? And as you learn about yourself, those stories then start becoming, you know, the more niched. You start figuring out more about yourself. You start creating a more fuller book. You start figuring out where you want to invest more of your time in. And it also builds confidence, which is the second C of self-leadership, which allows you to eventually take action. Before we go into confidence a little bit more, it made me think of that old Jim Carrey movie. Did you ever see Yes Man? Did you watch that <laughs> it one? It was just done. Yeah. yeah. It was just done. Yeah. Okay. I just think about the spirit of starting to say yes to things. I had another guy on this show. Actually, I think somebody you'd really get along with if you haven't connected with him already, a guy named James Silvis. And he came on here. He started talking about mentally in our brains, we're literally wired for survival. And so in order to achieve greatness or to go outside of the realm of just surviving, we have to learn how to take these risks. And so that spirit of saying yes to things and getting in the habit of saying yes, even when you don't want to, especially when it's uncomfortable, I think everybody gets to have that stage of their life. And I remember that stage of my life for me, we've already talked a lot about that, but eventually I found that after saying a bunch of yeses, it also led me towards honing in what my yes was and also finding out what I wanted to say no to. It helped me clarify the things, not only what I wanted, but what I didn't want, which was just as important and gave me the confidence to say no to those things. Gave me the confidence to say yes, because I knew that it was aligned with me based on what I'd experienced, that library of experiences that I'd accumulated. Yeah. Turning this back to this idea of career capital you have limitations based on your beliefs and the programs that you've developed over your life. And that life has encompassed some level of saying no and some level of saying yes to things where you feel safe, where you feel like you'll survive. And so breaking out of that habit, right, then allows you to build up this gold mine within yourself and then allows you then eventually to say, okay, I'm not being controlled by my self-limiting beliefs and my inner critic and the programs that I was given based on reaction I now can say no and say yes to things based on the programs that I've chosen, which is a completely different world than life. Oh yeah, man. So good. So how many C's are there? There's three C's and the last two are confidence and control. Okay, cool. So anything else to say about confidence? I'm personally one who feels like confidence speaks for itself. However, I think confidence can be really elusive. I think people even understanding where confidence comes from is something that does it just pop up out of nowhere one day? You just wake up and all of a sudden confidence is there. If you do your work on clarity and you do your work saying yes to being uncomfortable, confidence tends to build, which is why I focus on clarity first. If you know what you stand for and you know what you're working towards and you're more focused on what you gain personally, emotionally from what you're working towards, not from actually achieving the thing, you tend to show up differently. You tend to show up with more confidence. You walk into a room instead of wondering what people are thinking of you, you instead say, I know who I am. It doesn't matter what people think about me. So that's a completely different internal voice. There's really two main parts of confidence. It's understanding what beliefs that you have that are limiting you, reframing them. So it's like, I'm not good enough. Nobody likes me. And it's like, no, I've actually done all this stuff. I'm succeeding. I'm an explorer. And you know, someone doesn't like me. That's based on their perceptions, not really who I am because they don't know who I am. Like it's that reframe and then actually internalizing that. And then it's also going to go build skills and whatever you care about. So if I care about coaching, 
right? I'm going to go study coaching. If I care about soccer, I'm going to go study soccer. So it's a direct application and development of skills in the area that you care about, but not basing your confidence on the results, just basing it on the actual intention of going to grow in that area. It's really just doing your reps. Go do some emotional push-ups and get yourself ready for life, baby. Let's go. Awesome. Cool. So the last one then. Control. Yeah. People define this so differently. And so when I say it, sometimes I like to define it and then see how people feel about it. So control is emotional awareness and management and relationship awareness and management. So it's kind of EQ, but it's also environment management. So it's who you're investing your time in and where you're investing your energy, despite emotions. That's what control is. It's basically intentional action and investment of time and energy. I'll admit, man, control is one of those morning red alert words that comes into my field, especially when I'm working with men, right? Because I found that the freedom for me was recognizing what I don't have control over. Yeah, it's the intentional investment, right? So I'm not saying control over everything around you. I'm saying, how do you feel? Can you regulate that in response to what you want to spend your time on? So for example, I really care about being creative and my creative outlet right now is playing the piano. Despite how I feel, despite what's going on around me, am I going to make time for that? Because if I don't, there's going to be dissonance and frustration. I know that's a really simple explanation, but then other than control and regulation of myself, it's also not control of other people, but awareness of where I'm investing my time in other people. Am I building an environment around myself that relates to my values and my goals that I've decided upon? Yeah, well, I'm very much aligned with that, especially if we're talking about under this umbrella of self-leadership, because I am a firm believer that the only thing I can actually control is myself. And that, of course, my actions are going to have an influence and an impact on my environment and the people around me. But that's ultimately the best I can hope for. I can't force anyone's hand into a decision and to try to is a waste of energy. Yeah. And the reason why it's last is because if you don't have clarity and you don't have some sort of plan and you don't have confidence in what you care about in that plan, you're not going to take action towards it. Control is about intentional action and where you're investing your time. And so it builds upon itself. And then you have to ask yourself, am I actually investing intentionally where I need to, to be able to feel good about how I'm spending my time in my life? And that's where that control comes in. Yeah, I think there's one more layer. Sometimes I choose to substitute the word control with command, especially when I think about this reactivity that we can have, the difference between reaction and responding. I don't know how much of your work deals with somatics and leadership from a body, literally having a body that can show up in chaos and can ground and regulate to make a coherent decision instead of a reactive one. But I did a lot of training with a guy named Scott Cody, and he was focused on embodied leadership, leading from creating a body that can handle all of the curveballs, all the twists in the plot, and all the things that come up in life. So I put a lot of value on that, and I use the word command because I don't believe I have control over my emotions. What I have is I can direct my awareness and my attention to what I'm experiencing. All of a sudden, I'm afraid. I'm experiencing fear. I can call it. I can name it. And then I can reroute myself and then get back to my base where I can make a decision. Okay, so I am afraid. What decision do I want to make that's in alignment with my values, with the clear plan that I created and with the experience that I've had so far? What's available to me? Yeah, and it's even prior to the labeling of the emotion, it's what am I physically feeling? If I was to visualize those feelings, what does it look like? Where is that? instead of labeling it, defining it, which then attaches more emotions to it. First, a basic blanket understanding of what is currently going on within myself and saying, how can I use this energy to actually honor myself, but also continuously make progress towards what I care about. And sometimes that progress is taking a break and not doing anything. 
And then also, you know, you mentioned once you do label it, understanding what that label means to you. Like, what does fear mean to me? What does this represent about this situation? How could this be reinterpreted in a way that serves me and allows me to lead myself forward instead of being controlled by an emotion that is kind of automatic to a situation that I'm in based on programming that I've had throughout my entire life? And then saying, you know, okay, fear. Again, like we talked about, fear is an opportunity. Fear is a gift. Make myself a little uncomfortable or to, to understand more about myself and what could potentially be accomplished right now. It's great stuff, man. I love the topic of leadership. It was actually really cool to just have a conversation with another guy who's on the path to really understanding leadership and being a pillar in that way. So I know we could go on for much longer than we already have. This is just like a outline of an epic book. <laughs> but so let me hit you with some lightning round questions and then you can tell everybody where to follow you, find you and be available to work with you. Sounds good. All right. What's one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? The purpose comment, just that anything that I decide is important is only important because I decided it is. Heck yeah. Oh man. I don't even know if I would have been able to digest that at 18, but I definitely needed to hear it. <laughs> uh, what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Oh man. Health, but defining health. And I only say that because it's important to me and I think it should be important to the world around me. Spiritual, mental, physical, all emotional health. Focus on the self, grow the self, help other people put that first for themselves. If we all prioritize our health over our beliefs and the things we deem important, I think the world will be a better place. Agreed with you, bro. And lastly, what does the world need most from men right now? Oh man, that's a tough one. The world needs most from men right now is a lack of judgment a dropping of stories and preconceived beliefs and assumptions of others, of themselves, and to be open to listening, to learning, to growing as a whole, as a community and as humanity. Awesome, man. I love it. Well, you're a powerhouse, dude. So I'm excited for more people to know about you. Where can we go to follow you and find you and work with you? Go ahead and drop it for everybody. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I do have an Instagram page, but post on it sometimes. But connect with me on LinkedIn. Let's have a conversation. If you want to learn more about my services or check out some content, you can go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. It's liveforyourselfconsulting.com. And I look forward to hopefully connecting with some listeners. Let me know that you heard me here. I can throw in something special for all of you, probably involves some sort of free conversation. So reach out. Awesome, man. Well, Dr. Ben, it was awesome to connect with you and get to know a little bit more about your story and about how you arrived at being a leader of leaders. And I just really appreciate it, man. Looking forward to seeing more of your journey unfold and seeing what comes up next time we get to have a conversation. I really appreciate that too. Hopefully I can team up, continue this movement, help people grow, evolve, and overall just really enjoy this conversation. Thanks. Heck yeah, man. Let's do it. All right, fam, I hope you enjoyed that episode today. Make sure you visit us over at risingman.org to check out all of our amazing opportunities for you to get involved, to raise the bar and standard on the man that you want to be in your life and to come spend some time with some pretty cool dudes. Go check it out at risingman.org as well as all the links and resources attributed to this episode and all the other episodes for our show. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast and check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big ups to my power squad, Sean, Julian, Rowan, Ryan, Mark, and Kyle. I love you guys. Thank you each and every week for everything you do. And every one of you out there who are listening, tuning in, 
fanning the rising man flames and keeping us growing. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.